0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back, just a couple days removed from the insane WWE Backlash premium live event in puerto rico as wwe kicked off its new season if you will with brand new rosters across raw and smackdown as well as the start of the world heavyweight championship tournament we have an absolute ton to discuss on this edition of getting over so let's not waste much time getting into it allow me to remind you off the top of today's show that this podcast is all about defy so please folks Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Of course, our co-host, Vintage, Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. Because if you do, you're going to be like Kate E.B. and get your review read live right here on the show. That review says thank you, five stars. Very simply put, thank you for leading us through these hard times. Kate E. B. you are welcome. You can also, by the way, leave comments on our episodes on Spotify. Shout out to Music Mac and Mean Street Posse. Talk about something I have not heard in a long time, Mean Street Posse, among other Spotify users who have recently left comments for us. Of course, we are about more these days than just those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I happen to love the number... Five. And because I happen to love the number five, you can become an official getting overhead through buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. You get bonus shows, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, news posts, extremely accurate if you ask me, the Silver King, and much more all through buymeacoffee.com slash getting over for a $5 membership per month, or you can just contribute a little bit to the show to say thank you for all the instant reaction podcasts and long WWE episodes we do every single week. And I did want to send shouts out to Eric P. Cant, Cam S., and Johnny N. for becoming the newest official Getting Over Heads. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement Acknowledge. right there. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news highlights, and so much more again on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, welcome to the show. We had quite a weekend with WWE Backlash. I got to tell you, one of the more exciting instant reaction podcasts we've done, not because of necessarily the developments of the show, but talk about being in a positive mood and mindset for a late night podcast recording. It was, I I didn't, you know, usually when we do those, like we have the cold beverage, you were tired. I then have to edit the show for like an hour or, you know, after we finish taping, I didn't care. I was so enthused to do that show. And it really, I thought was going to set the stage for me for an exciting week of WWE to come.
1: Were were you blasting Chambea in the back while you were editing the pod?
0: I was not. I'll tell you what's really interesting about that is I had definitely heard that song numerous times before but I never had actually placed it as a Bad Bunny song because I didn't know Bad Bunny at all until he started with WWE. So I found that all really interesting.
1: (laughs) Yes, good show. Uh, And they moved past it pretty quickly because there's a lot going on now.
0: They did. And we want to move past it as well. However, as with any premium live event, when we come back to our next WWE episode, we always have a second look because what Chris and I do... And I think it's to different degrees, Chris. Is it fair to say, depending on the event and depending on how much we liked, of course, what actually happened? We both rewatch sections of it, the entire thing. You've told me you've rewatched Bad Bunny's Entrance how many times?
1: Dozens of times.
0: Dozens of times. Well, I ended up re-watching the vast majority of Backlash. And I want to go through it real quick for a second look, just because there were items that I either missed, overlooked or even wanted to double down on. So let's go through all of that. Then we will move into the main event as we cover the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament, which got started on Raw. Of course, we will talk the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we will wrap up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast with the last word. But as I said first, a second look at Backlash. Regarding Puerto Rico and the atmosphere, if the average WWE crowd was half of what we got in Puerto Rico, Wrestling would be so much better for it in the United States. This was one of the best wrestling crowd that we've seen, one of the best wrestling crowds that we've seen, I think in decades. And beyond that, Chris, I kind of just agreed with you Saturday night when you said the drone camera was really low quality coming into the arena, I rewatched it, it wasn't. It was 1080p, what happened though, was it kept going light into dark into light And it kind of affected Mm -hmm. the way the picture came across on screen. And the last point I wanna make about Puerto Rico and all this is the tourism marketing 100% worked on me. I've lived in South Florida basically my entire life with the exception of like when I lived in Gainesville for college. And Puerto Rico is probably, you know, by boat 10 to 12 hours away, flight two and a half hours. I am never there. And I live closer than anyone else could possibly live in the continental United States to Puerto Rico. The biggest issue is there's no direct boats from South Florida, if you can believe that, because it's basically a half a day trip. So you either have to take a cruise yeah. or you have to fly over there, and I'm not a big flyer, but I will tell you, this worked on me to the point that I actively want to try to get over to Puerto Rico inside of the next year.
1: Complete same. I legitimately was like, huh, maybe that's a place I should consider for a vacation. Have like, you ever been it there? totally worked on me. I've never been there, Uh, but now I'm thinking about it. It's completely different. I am never considering going to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia uh, (laughs) when those those tourists. I don't even think I'm allowed in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I am. Puerto Rico, I want to give it, I'm going to consider it now. It worked.
0: I'll tell you, as someone who has been there five or six times already in my life, it is legitimately beautiful. And they didn't just pick like the good parts of the beach, let's say, to show you. It's amazing being on the beach in Puerto Rico, being in some of the resorts, even just walking around uh, some of the downtown areas uh, in San Juan. It is absolutely fantastic. And it kind of did get me going, got the juices going, as they say, to go back to Puerto Rico. And if you haven't been, if you're listening and you have the means, I would suggest you give it a consideration. Uh, Bianca Belair against EO Sky. Bianca got a great babyface reaction for her entrance. And there were plenty of spots when I rewatched the match that she did get cheered. She also got cheered for winning. This, despite the crowd wanting EO to get the win. So, I just wanted to confirm what we said Saturday that the crowd was not at all anti Belair. It was just super pro EO Sky. And, Chris, you talked about Belair's braid getting messed up late in the match. On second look, that's actually how she came out. It was just styled differently. So, some of the hair parts were pulled out of the braid. So, it wasn't as smooth or tied together. I don't know the right, you know, whatever, right terminology as it normally would be. Uh, I stand by the fact that Bianca and EO were match of the night. It was outstanding. When damage control charged down to the ring, if you watch it back, Dakota Kai was actively trying to convince Bailey to stop. So that's a really nice ongoing element for the storyline that I missed. And lastly, we did drop a couple hay nows on the show. But as pointed out by multiple listeners, we completely missed Bailey's pants. They going look good, but she's got me saying, hey now! So, I had to throw that out there for them. Anything on this match? Good, good. Uh
1: Nope, I, I, that's all interesting. Some of it I didn't notice, so that was good to, to know coming out of
0: it. Okay. Seth Rollins and Omos, I forgot to note here that for all the criticisms of this being booked out of nowhere, and all the criticisms were deserved, because it was booked out of nowhere, this proved exactly why it was booked, and it also, Chris, proved what you have been saying about Omos. The ceiling is there, but they have to reach it. And to this point, they just had not. And I also forgot to mention that Omas in the match used snake eyes and the big boot from The Undertaker. He said on an interview that Taker gave him the moves. So I thought that was cool as well.
1: Hmm. I did not know that. That is good to know as well. And I'm glad you... Can see that, like we see the potential for Omos there. It's been a couple it's cracking of years. through. It hasn't improved at the it hasn't improved at the rate we would like, but he's still young. I don't remember exactly what his age is, but I'm pretty sure he's he's 28. So like, there's still a, a lot I think he can can grow and do.
0: Uh, in Rhea Ripley against Zelina Vega, I found it so odd. Zelina came out to the Mexican LWO logo and green and red lights as like her production elements, when she was literally a walking Puerto Rican flag, and they made a Puerto Rico LWO logo that was all over the show and everyone was wearing it on their t-shirts. So it was completely nonsensical to me that they made that big of a production mistake or that they did it on purpose and had her coming out to graphics that were the Mexican LWO. It just was utterly confusing. Also about her gear, she had Puerto Rican flag Nikes, they may have been dunks. They were really cool. I didn't even notice them the first time because how could you with the flag and you know the rest of the gear that she had? Uh, Bad Bunny and Damian Priest. I know Bunny was doing a fashionable look, but on that LWO note, I thought it was a huge missed opportunity to not have him wear any LWO gear for the entire match. All those photos taken of him and there's no LWO in any of them. Uh, we also didn't spend any real time on the show, Chris, praising Damian Priest. He was yeah. incredible in this match, not just working on his own, but the way he protected Bad Bunny. He also, perhaps even more importantly, he never wavered as a heel, despite this also being his hometown. Every other Puerto Rican on the show was a babyface being cheered, and he was stuck being a heel. That's an incredibly difficult position, yet he was ice cold the entire time, like a true pro.
1: I had the exact same thought. I was like, man, I, I, like Monday, I was like, man, we talked a lot about Zelina Vega and bad bunny being in Puerto Rico, but we like, we all kind of just forgot or didn't really talk about how Damian priest is. And that must've, that was a huge moment and probably dream come true for him as well. He just kind of didn't get to kind of take it in, in the same way that the others did. And he was great. You know, he, he's a guy, you know, for, we thought could get into a kind of a, heavyweight championship picture at some point before they kind of turned his character into that weird Jekyll and Hyde thing, but he is doing a great job right now. Again, the judgment day has elevated basically everybody in the group and that's exactly what you want from those things. And so um, absolute shout out to Damian priest who did a great job.
0: And I also wanted to change my grade on the match 4.25 stars and an a, it was clearly excellent, like beyond celebrity, beyond the surprise stuff. It was an excellent mm-hmm. match. So I wanted to give them that yeah. bump as well. Go ahead.
1: To the, I'm oh, sorry, jump in. you're, no, you're right. And, and to the point of the um, Bad Bunny entrance, as I said, I saw a lot of people who aren't wrestling fans uh, talking about it. Like Shea Serrano from, I think he's at, he used to be at the ringer. was like, this is, he was like, even if you don't like wrestling, it's not hard to just get caught up in this. Like, this is real art. And it was like, it felt like a big fight feel and a concert at the same time. And there's been tens of millions of views of that entrance. And it really broke through in the way that they wanted it. To. It was
0: very similar. The reaction to his entrance was very similar. And I'm forgetting, I don't know the baseball player's name. Cause I, I mean, look, I'm a huge Yankees fan and I used to watch baseball religiously as a kid, but I've largely stopped watching baseball. I don't watch almost any regular season games, but what was it? The Mets reliever with the Timmy trumpet song last year.
1: Yeah. Edwin one. Edwin Diaz. This was this was my this was my uh pick, my wrestling music pick like a couple of weeks well, ago. That's Edwin why Diaz. That's
0: why I'm bringing it up to you. It was my point is the yep. reaction beyond the sport itself to Bad Bunny yeah. was very similar to the reaction to that that entrance with the trumpet and then everyone was going crazy. Mm-hmm. It got passed around everywhere. The difference of course is this is the number one most streamed artist on every single platform and one of the biggest stars in the world. In WWE, as opposed to just a baseball closer kind of walking out, you know, to do his thing. But my point is, it's just similar. The way that this has blown up beyond Mm -hmm. the sport is what I'm trying to get at. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Matt Rule against the Bloodline. It seemed like we haven't really addressed like the motivation of Solo Sokoa. It seems like he's operating almost under an order of get the job done by any means necessary. And if you take that into consideration and then you watch the finish play out, it explains the insistence of being legal in the match, not just interfering and hurting people, but tagging in because he's been tasked with getting the job done. Not that he didn't trust his brothers so much as he was trying to fulfill the task that was given to him. I just found that interesting. I never mentioned it before. I don't know if everyone thought that and I just overlooked it, but whatever. I figured it was worth saying.
1: No, that's a good observation. They've had Roman and Paul Heyman basically talking to him, kind of separating him from the Usos. Right. And it goes back to that dynamic we talked about where he is their brother and we kind of forget that.
0: And lastly, Cody Rhodes, Brock Lesnar. I watched the finish a few times just to confirm that the Lesnar blood was purposeful because we said it was, and it definitely was. The turnbuckle was either sharp on purpose because he did slam his head hard into it. Or what may have been the actual case is that he was pre-cut and then he rubbed it open with his glove. I did not see a blade anywhere. I wanted to make that very clear. Mm -hmm. Cody really came out of this match looking smart because he did the pre-match attack, he fended off Brock's offense, and then he took a UFC heavyweight champion and reversed a submission into a pinfall. Even getting out of the ring immediately was smart because Lesnar wasn't knocked out and obviously would have gone wild on him. And lastly, Brock stayed in the ring and got, you could see the videos all over social media. Uh, He got a huge ovation from the Puerto Rico crowd after backlash, just like he did in Nashville after SummerSlam. Even though he's a heel now, you can tell that he is actually getting touched by the crowd reaction and he's enjoying himself. I'm not sure if he's taking advantage of these moments because he likes the adulation or he might be considering calling it quits in a year or two, but either way, it is crazy how much I have come around on this guy in the last year. It was always Chris the booking that was the problem, not him. But between the babyface run, being away from Paul Heyman, being in a series of non-title signature matches, he is completely revitalized as a wrestling persona. It is such a shame that he was stuck in that unbeatable heel world champion who was never around gimmick for like two years that absolutely ruined him and ruined WWE's main event scene because this is the Brock Lesnar that we should have been getting for the last five or six years.
1: For the most part. Yeah, I I think that's true. I, I noticed the same thing at WrestleMania 38 in Dallas when I was there after he lost in Roman one, he stayed in the ring for quite a long time, acknowledged the crowd. He seems to have been doing that the last year plus or so, just really kind of taking it in. And that goes back to just people do want to cheer him, even though he's the heel he's, been just just a very good baby face with just what he's dressing him on the mic away from Paul Heyman I think that's been as big as anything him being the one to talk we're connecting with him as a character like we never have before and that's a real credit to to, to the work he has uh he has done even though he's losing to Roman multiple times to Cody here like he's not the unbeatable monster anymore but we love him for it and I think he can can feel that
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, well, that was the second look at WWE Backlash. Let's move to the second of four segments on today's loaded WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. You know it, you love it. We're sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And today's main event is completely surrounding the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament, which, Chris, you and I have really not gotten an opportunity to discuss at all here on the podcast. Now, Triple H announced during the Backlash press conference Friday, that the tournament would feature 12 participants across six matches, four triple threats, two semifinal singles matches, and then the title match at Night of Champions, all evenly split across Raw and SmackDown. And that got started immediately Monday night. Now, before we get to the participants and the matches themselves, we should discuss briefly the concept and the format. I had no major issues with it. Triple threat qualifiers are a Triple H booking staple, and given there's a taped go-home SmackDown before Night of Champions. There's only five live shows between Backlash and Night of Champions. Would I have preferred an extended 16-person singles tournament with 14 total matches? Obviously. But we're still getting 12 superstars involved. That's a solid number. And even with, let's say, 10 hours of TV, doing 13 matches in that span if you were to do a 16-person tournament, That leaves very little time for anything else in the ring. For me, it felt better to kind of get it out of the way this week and spend time building toward the major match on that show. The most notable criticism I saw was people suggesting it was illogical for SmackDown superstars to be involved since the World Heavyweight Championship will be a Raw title. And look, I think you guys know it's been five plus years, I should really come up with the exact number of how long I've been wrestling podcasting. You guys know I'm happy to poke holes in booking and I'm happy to nitpick and criticize. I just didn't have any problem with this. The title and its champion are exclusive to Raw. It was never said the initial contenders could only be from that brand. It makes sense to me for an inaugural championship to be open to the entire company. The roster split literally starts this week. It's not like it happened three months ago. Is it, The cleanest way to do it? No. But they only have so many wrestlers that actually make sense contending for a world title. And because of that, I don't find it being worth getting upset about at all.
1: I mean, I'm not like upset about it. I just... Feel like it could have been more. T- I, I still we're just we're just gonna disagree. I think it's dumb that you can be drafted to SmackDown immediately put into a tournament for a championship that's gonna be on a Raw and then you're on a Raw. Like it just it's just it's weird to me. But in terms of the the calendar, I don't think you need a week long build between who the two winners are. You know, going into Knight of champions, I would have loved to expand it to eight or sixteen. You could do uh one one set of matches this week two set of matches next week and maybe do both qualifiers uh on raw before night of champ but both semifinals of the the uh, both semifinals on the raw before night of champions uh if you're going to have a taped smackdown um that way you, you know you associate the title with raw and you just you get more people involved it's it's isn't really about the tour- tournament the, the tournament is basically one week and we're just we're going to have Couple matches at the end, so the the, the idea that we're going to have a big, you know, Survivor Series type tournament, King of the Ring tournament, that just, it's not what it ended up being. And when they when they first announced tournament for the championship, that's what I was hoping we would get. Ultimately, it's fine. We're going to get the people at the end that, that work, and it's fine. I just think it the the, the kind of inconsistency and confusion at the beginning over this title, where it was going to be, who was going to be in it, how it was going to play out for those couple of weeks. Um, just kind of took away from it a little bit. I, I, I was glad at who's in terms of who was in the tournament, who is in the tournament. Well, let's get to that. All worthy names. All worthy names. I said Cody had to be in it. He was. So I wanted to just we, we, we talked about that on the reaction pod. I'm good with the people in it. So yeah, I can retract that concern.
0: And I think what you have is a totally fair opinion to have. I don't I don't criticize anyone for saying, hey, you know, you said it was going to be a raw title and why are there SmackDown people participating? But when you like literally just sit back and think about it, it's not the worst thing. It's not like some like, oh, the brand split is bullshit because for a world title, they're letting AJ Styles and Edge compete for it. It's like, it's AJ Styles and Edge. Of course they should compete for it. So you mentioned the the people, the competitors. They announced 12 on Sunday. From Raw, it was Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Damian Priest, The Miz, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Cody Rhodes. From SmackDown, it is Austin Theory, AJ Styles, Bobby Lashley, Rey Mysterio, Edge, and Sheamus. So what I wanted to do was look at all the challengers and look at the rosters and see like who should have been in there that wasn't and, you know, who is in there that shouldn't have been, I guess. Um, But I would say 11 of the 12 are appropriate. The most obvious standout is Theory, who is already a Mm -hmm. champion, has no business being in the match whatsoever, especially when Gunther is not, and he's been a champion longer than Theory. I think that's totally nonsensical. But then I actually broke it down. So, in terms of obvious names missing, you really only have Drew McIntyre, either of the New Day guys, but especially Kofi Kingston, because he's a former world champion, Matt Riddle, who's just a big top single star, and Randy Orton. McIntyre, Big E, and Orton are all out injured, so they're not in it. That leaves Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods, and Matt Riddle. Of those three guys, all of them are on Raw, so you'd have to replace someone from the Raw side. And there's no issues with anyone on the Raw side. Then you look at the SmackDown side. You have LA Knight and Karrion Cross. They've been doing nothing but losing. Bray Wyatt is not on TV. Now, could they have thrown a bone to Santos Escobar or Montez Ford? Sure. But if we're being honest, neither of them is notably more deserving of this than Austin Theory, who's actually been getting wins while Ford has lost opportunities And Escobar has been on the losing side of a lot of stuff recently. The point being, maybe they actually got it right. Like I'd have booked Kofi over Miz. That's probably the biggest change that I would have made to the field.
1: Is is Kofi back from surgery? I I could have
0: sworn, I could have sworn that he was back, but he wasn't at Raw. So.
1: Maybe. We haven't seen him wrestle, I don't think, since he went out. but, 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 But either way, like you're right. I mean, like, considering the, the show, the, the, the title is going to be on Raw, I think you could have flipped guys to other shows just for the sake of the tournament. I, like, in the end, I'll, like I don't have really any complaints about who's in it and what they did. I just felt like it could have been more, it could have been like a tournament we think about you know, for a while. And instead it's like, now nah, let's just kind of fast forward to the end of it to get a new champion.
0: I do agree with that. It almost is something that should have been announced after WrestleMania and built alongside the Backlash build. Therefore, when you get to Knight yep. of Champions, it feels like that final match is a really, really big deal. Someone has won three matches already, singles matches, and they're in that. I agree. Larger tournament, stronger field, more clear, longer term. But if you were going to book it in this short window, I don't have a problem with the way they decided to do it. That's really what I'm, what it comes down to.
1: Yeah, that's fine.
0: Okay. So let's get to Raw itself and what happened in this tournament. So Cody Rhodes opened in full gear, which I thought was a really weird look for him for a promo segment because everything he does is in a suit. He put himself over for beating Brock Lesnar, saying Brock is in the rearview mirror and his focus is now on the World Heavyweight Championship. He strolled up to the title, which was on the stage and announced the start of the tournament when Seth Rollins immediately entered. They did a smile and a stare down with each other on either side of the title It was odd again to have Cody in full gear if he was not going to be in the opening match. And apparently he was scheduled to be in the opening match, but they decided to switch the matches. That way they could get this stare down with Seth. So I guess they told him that and he's like, well, I'm not changing. So I'm just coming out in what I'm already wearing. (laughs) Um, At least the promo got the crowd hype. I just thought it was a little bit odd for him to be out there looking like that and not immediately wrestling.
1: Yeah, no yeah i thought it was notable too like he was like look i beat brock lesnar so like i'm moving on to the title which is exactly what he had to say because he beat brock he had no more he had no more issue with him and obviously things happen later in the show but at that point like yeah that's what he should be saying he's focused on the title um and that's fine i mean like you know we we can have the debate you know that's not the title that he wanted yada yada but look Cody has to be in this tournament. I don't think Cody should win, and obviously things happen, but he had to be in this tournament. He had to go for this title, so that was all fine.
0: He absolutely had to be, and what was really smart is they didn't have him cut a promo saying like, you know, this isn't the title that I want, but it is a world title that's available to me, so I'm going for it. No, he put it over as this is very important. I am excited to go after it, but then based on the booking, and obviously we'll get to that in detail, the booking was so good because it, allowed him to stay away from the championship after he initially put it over as something that's so important that even he wants it. Even though we know in kayfabe, it's not the one he actually wants, but he still found it important enough to put himself in the tournament. So really, really smart, well done, and a good point by you. So the first quarterfinal match, triple threat was Seth Rollins, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Damian Priest. Rollins stood in the ring for what must have been 10 minutes by himself. Priest and Gorilla Position talked about winning on his own with either him or Finn Balor bringing home the title to Judgment Day. He also sold the injured knee while he made his entrance walking in with a limp. This was the first match on the show. It did not start until 23 minutes into the broadcast. Once it started, we got two minutes of action and then a commercial break. So let me tell you what happened in the first 30 minutes of Raw on Monday night, going head to head with the NBA playoffs. Four entrances, two long video packages, a Cody promo, and two commercial breaks. Oh, and two minutes of wrestling. That is an awful start for me, at least as a home viewer. Now the crowd, and we'll talk about the crowd, I promise you plenty on this episode, but the crowd was hot to start this show. And again, by the time 8.30 hit after that second commercial break ended, they had seen two minutes of wrestling and a two minute promo.
1: Yeah. Not a lot. It was a weird start to the show from Cody coming out in gear to the not having wrestling for a while. It just, it kind of was, kind of was a little bit off watching it.
0: So this got off to a formulaic start. Priest caught Rollins with a flatliner, knock kicked him in the knee. Rollins escaped Razor's edge and stomped Priest for a broken fall. Shin ducked and countered a Seth forearm. Then he hit an inverted exploder suplex. Priest interrupted Kinshasa with a lariat. Nakamura escaped South of heaven by attacking the knee. And then he got him in a knee bar. As Priest looked like he was about to submit, he was trying to go to the ropes, Rollins flew in from out of nowhere with a frog splash on Nakamura, breaking up the submission, immediately picking Shinsuke up for a pedigree and the 1-2-3 in 14 minutes. Now this started slow, but it picked up massively down the stretch. I might have booked Rollins over Priest because he already had the knee problem and he just lost, so beating him twice isn't a big deal, and Nakamura just joined Raw, but Shinsuke got caught blind, so it's not like it was a one-on-one loss, and it was a really strong opener, excellent finish, even if it started a little bit too late and started a little bit too slow. On top of all of that, it was the obvious and correct winner. So this kicked off the tournament on a real high note, and I'll also say a little bit of a preview. Given what we got in the second quarterfinal, it was 100% the right call to put this match first.
1: Yes, completely right call, made sense to do that. Match was fun, match was good. Triple threats with these guys, like you just you knew it was going to be good. And and, and and so that was all set. W- one more thing about the 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 opening. Um that kind of ties into this first match. When they when they listed off every single person in the match and their accomplishments and they had like a narrator going over it, it kind of sounded like the opening to like a raw from 1995 or something like that. Didn't it? Like it it was like that old like deep voice narrator talking about all the other people in the tournament. This play this wrestler accomplished all these kinds of things. So I, I don't know like if it was supposed to be like that, but I kind of liked it in a throwbacky type of way. And then and then yeah, obviously we go into the first match, and the person we all expected to win won and all good. Nothing really else to say about it.
0: All right. So let's move into the second quarterfinal, which was Cody, Finn Balor, and the Miz. There was a Miz promo in Gorilla about him demanding respect. This was formulaic longer than the first one was formulaic. Rhodes eventually hit a double Cody cutter and then a disaster kick on Balor. Miz came back with a double DDT. Balor caught some sling blades plus a shotgun drop kick on Cody. Rhodes dodged coup de grace and Miz hit Balor with skull crushing finale for a broken fall. Cody hit crossroads on Balor. Miz broke the fall. So he ran back in and hit three crossroads on Miz only to get pulled out of the ring and f 5 Brock Lesnar at ringside. Now I'm going to get into all this Brock Lesnar stuff. I just really, and, and the finish of the match really quick. Cody needs to stop doing three crossroads. Okay. He did it to Roman. Ra- he, he read it. He did it to Roman reigns. And when he tried to do the third one, solo Sokoa got him and he did three here to the Miz. Miz only needs one crossroads to get pinned in kayfabe. Okay. He does three to the Miz for no reason whatsoever. And it cost him again because it gave Lesnar time to pull him out. So I want the pause. Do you
1: agree with me on that? I'm the person who said from the beginning that three crossroads he does it way too much. He way did it in too the much. very first match with Seth when he came back, and at the, as a result, a single crossroads doesn't mean anything because we're instantly we're always hit with the triple. I, I've said this, a but dude, of weeks it's or one thing. On this
0: podcast, it's one thing to do it at WrestleMania against Seth Rollins. It's one thing to do it at WrestleMania against Roman Reigns. It is another thing to do it against The Miz on a quarterfinal match on Raw.
1: Right. Like, have commentary say that or something. Say, like, Cody gets too excited when he does crossroads and maybe he should just go for the pin or something. Because, like, a single crossroads doesn't finish barely anybody. We never see it. So (laughs) I totally agree. I'm glad you recognize that, too.
0: So freaking ridiculous. All right. So anyway, after pulling Cody outside, Lesnar revealed himself and he had a bunch of nasty Stitches on his forehead and a big black eye back inside the ring. Balor flew in with coup de grace on the Miz to get the one, two, three in advance after 10 minutes. Lesnar outside, F5 Cody through the announce table, grabbed a mic, sarcastically asked Cody what he wants to talk about, screamed in the camera and then screamed to Cody. I want to talk about me. Brock grabbed and cradled Cody's head and neck saying that he lucked into the win at Backlash and he screamed that he wants a fight at night of champions. Now, when it comes to the match result in booking, as a wise man once said, I believe I had that. In this case, I had it exactly. The execution was there both in the ring and in the post-match with Lesnar. And was this predictable? Yes, it was predictable. Not just because I predicted it. I'm sure plenty of you had the same thought. But as a wise man once said, another wise man, sometimes predictable things are good. This was both predictable and good from a booking standpoint. Now, I do think Lesnar in the promo... Got caught repeating himself. He does that frequently where he just like will forget what's next. So he just repeats what he said before. It's a minor issue. A major issue was WWE piping in booze that were so loud, so obviously fake, and so obnoxious that it actively made it difficult as a viewer to hear Lesnar speak at the start of his promo. They eventually toned it down a little bit. But no one needs or wants this bullshit. If the crowd is silent, let it be silent. It's live television. And in this case, it's a bad guy talking. They want to hear what he's going to say before they decide whether they're going to boo him or not. And us sitting at home as the viewer, the millions of people need to hear what he's going to say. And the piped in boos actively make that difficult. Now, later, Chris, I'm going to talk about WWE's awful production on Raw. This is the paradigm of everything that was wrong with it on Monday night. It actively hurt the segment. And when something intended to help actually hurts, then you really need to look at it
1: and make a change. Now, away from that. Well,
0: go ahead. No, go ahead.
1: Well, let me let me jump in on that. I, I, I don't think you mentioned it, but the microphone didn't work in the arena. It, that's why that's why the camera moved up close to him. That's why Brock started repeating himself because he realized you sure? this microphone isn't working. a hundred percent. You could tell nobody could hear what he was saying in the mic because it wasn't very loud when he was talking. And so he noticed it. The mic's not working. So the camera starts getting close to him. So he starts saying into the camera so they at least have the audio. And I I'm I don't maybe they piped in the booze because the crowd wasn't here. No, they he piped in the booze. And it, or maybe they, they, they piped in the booze. Fake, maybe they, they just used a fake booze. Anyway, they piped them in before even started saying, speaking. Yeah. It it, it it dragged on and it was very, very awkward. Cause I'm almost hundred percent sure that the microphone was not working when he started cutting that promo and it kind of just messed up with everything. Well, then someone should have
0: handed him a new mic. They do it all the time. I mean, I know, I know it was a very intense yeah. moment and it's difficult. Like, to just stop talking, get a mic, you know, when you're trying to like scream at someone, but then you stop the right. segment and you, and you do something, but the booze were piped in before he even started speaking. And they were so loud that even if the mic was working perfectly, it still was distracting. So it was just all, the production of that was atrocious. Now away from the production, the booking, Chris, I thought was spot on and the actual content and more important, the delivery of Lesnar's promo. I thought was amazing he didn't beat us over the head with it, but if you listened close enough, he gave us the reason for the initial attack. Cody sucked the air out of the main event on the road to WrestleMania, with Brock thinking it should have been him that people wanted to see and hear about, not Cody. He's like, You always want to talk about yourself, should be talking about me, because Lesnar is the one so used to dominating the division for so long in WWE until Cody came around. Obviously, He had every reason in the world for a second attack. You know, this one coming out of Backlash Mm -hmm. because he was made to look like a man and not the beast that he's purported to be. He got busted open. He got defeated. Whole deal. Never seeing Lesnar hurt or injured like we did on Monday really sold this for me. I actually had to rewatch this segment to pick up all of the clear positives here because the boos distracted me so much when I watched it live. But seeing Lesnar with a black eye and like however many stitches in his forehead screaming and actually providing reason for his anger. For me it, it turned this into a I thought it was a fantastic post-match segment with Lesnar. And again, the only detraction was the booze. You take those out and I'm probably praising it even more.
1: To your point about the way Brock looked, you're right. We've never seen him look like that. We've never seen him look like he got run over by a truck before and it really made it look like cody really beat the shit out of him it did but he, he didn't actually <laughs> but but it looked like brock really took a beating in that match and and, and so it did just kind of add every add to everything um the booking made sense i was curious if cody was going to win this one mm-hmm. then have brock cost him in the semifinal. so i wasn't i was a little surprised uh although we figured brock would do this at some point well,
0: let me tell you why let Matt, me tell you why it had to happen this way just really quick before you go on
1: i i know why it had to happen right. i'm just saying i thought about it good it, it had to happen because you have to have a legitimate win in your semifinal.
0: you have for, to have a legitimate uh, win in Roll. the semifinal. number two you don't want cody to get pinned so in a triple threat he was a non-factor into the finish whereas in the semifinal, brock would have beat the shit out of him you'd have to knock out the referee then you'd throw him in rollins beats him and you're like so Rollins just pinned cody that's how he beat that's how he beats cody after losing three matches to him it just wouldn't have worked at all
1: yep yep totally that makes sense as well so uh and Miz worked here like ms again former two-time grand slam champ deserves to be in plays great as the foil the guy take the pin uh, all good stuff the, the 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 brock promo was weird at the end i really think it was because the, the mic was an issue and he had to turn to the camera to cover and kind of fix it from there but overall accomplished what it needed to
0: but you agree that the content of what he did and the execution of it from the passion and the anger that was all really solid right
1: yes yeah no no totally totally I just I kind of got distracted by the audio issue at the time yeah but then you kind of realized it was I, I didn't I didn't love it look him saying like you should be talking about me or whatever like you were taking up too much of the spotlight I mean Brock agreed to and lost a match at SummerSlam that said he can never challenge Roman again. So like you're kind of just being a baby about it, but maybe that's the, maybe that's the point he's the heel after all. So, well, he's a heel.
0: He's a go. multi-time, you know, world champion in UFC or one time, I guess in UFC, the heavyweight multi-time in WWE. He's a, you know, he's this Canadian. No, he's not Canadian. I almost called him Canadian. He's a, a mountain man who lives in Canada and, Kills cows, you know, and and butchers them like this is reasonable is not something that you need to a word you need to use with Brock Lesnar. So I think it was totally fine. It was it was a little bit Dolph Ziggler esque, you know, like what about me? Like that whole gimmick that Dolph did was a little bit too much like that, I guess maybe. But I thought that what happened later backstage uh, when Cody got iced down by a trainer, he was furious about being out of the tournament. He pointed out it was the second time Lesnar attacked him from behind. He clarified the reason that Brock gave in that promo backstage. He said Brock attacked him because he's losing the grip on the main event scene that Lesnar had dominated in WWE for so long and Rhodes now has it and Brock's pissed about it, clearly. So he accepted the fight challenge after that. I thought it was a solid promo by Cody. And I gotta say, even though I wish that this all happened weeks ago where it was explained to us, I do accept this as the reason for Brock's initial attack and his anger at Cody. Sure.
1: Yeah, totally get it.
0: All right, uh, if this ends up being a fight pit match, and by them calling it a fight twice, I have to think that it's going to be a fight pit or unsanctioned or something like that. Cody is going
1: to bleed
0: at Night of Champions. I would bet on it.
1: <laughs> Do we uh, hard, hard way, right? I mean, they don't really blade anymore.
0: Uh, I don't know if it would be a hard way or pre-cut or something like that, but I doubt. I doubt mm-hmm. he blades. I, I, I mean, I don't think they're going to blade.
1: Well, here's a distinction. I'm just curious. I don't don't know much about it. Would you consider a pre-cut a blade?
0: No, because I think there's a difference to literally doing it on camera or hiding it in the moment where you're slicing yourself open versus an element that is used. Like for me, a pre-cut is like, we are efforting to tell a story with blood purposefully. Blading for me is more like I, I just keep thinking of Mox,
1: like Mox. I just keep thinking of well, John I mean, I mean, and like Terry sure. Funk, I, you know, I, I, and and all those. I think the Mick point. I think the I think the regular point of blading is to tell the story, but I agree. It's it supposed to be and way over. It's way overdone throughout wrestling history. Yes. Yeah, it's a,
0: just, it, It's supposed to be. Yeah, Here is the difference. I think with a pre-cut, you're still there's still an element of hard way. There's still something that is directly leading to the the bleeding in the match, whereas. Like a punch. You get punched in that spot a couple times and then it starts bleeding. So it may not be a true hard way, but it's made to look like it is one. Whereas blading to me many times is obviously fake. That's the difference.
1: All right. This this is kind of a gross conversation. I'm ready to move on.
0: Okay. Well, I'm just explaining. Uh, Speaking of things that are gross, let me just point this out. Back in middle school, uh, I gashed my head open uh, through my eyebrow at a very similar length to Lesnar. And I can't speak to what happened to him. But I had 50 stitches, 25 in and 25 out. Um, So it looked exactly like what Brock had here. Now, mine was through my eyebrow. His was the middle of his head. But I still have a scar to this day. So I'm kind of curious to see, you know, a year down the line, the way that is going to look for Lesnar. Just wanted to point that out. And lastly, before we move on, uh, how refreshing is it to see Brock as basically a full-timer? I mean, it's actually unbelievable to me that we see him more now as a non champion, than we did when he lorded over WWE with the title for all those years. That's how shitty a deal Vince McMahon signed with him all those years ago. The guy now, he's actually wrestling and he's clearly having more fun. Chris, this is going to be the fifth straight premium live event that Brock Lesnar competes on. When has he
1: ever done anything like that before? No, I mean, I mean, that's even go back to day one last year. He's frequently on the show he's basically a regular that's all why i was kind of surprised he wasn't drafted um or even put in the tournament at this point but um no he again we're getting more brock Lesnar than we ever have before because he's a face and people like to see him he's not the dominant guy who, who can only come in and win he can lose now and so when he can lose you can use him a lot more
0: i just and think they, it's they, weird so. that we're seeing him more now as not the champion than we did when he was the champion for years like it it's just such a stark well, difference.
1: Right, because he can because he can lose. I mean, when he's right. a champion, you right. can't lose, and there's only so much you can do about it. So that's why we don't see Roman very much either now.
0: It's a fair point. All right. Uh we had Rollins and Balor. We didn't even finish this tournament. Rollins and Balor in the raw semifinal main event. Uh Balor powerbombed Rollins into the barricade early, which was a direct callback to the move that separated Balor's shoulder in the inaugural universal title match. This that, by the way, I should note, was seven years ago. If you want to talk about time flying. Uh, Then Balor worked Rollins' shoulder while still telling that story throughout the entire match. He hit Sling Blade, but ate a superkick response. Rollins slammed Balor's head into the ring apron about 10 times. They traded hard strikes. Balor hit a Pele kick. Then Balor's mouth actually got busted open. Rollins hit the superplex, but his shoulder gave out, and Balor countered out of the Falcon Arrow into an inverted DDT. Balor hit a shotgun dropkick. Rollins avoided coup de gras. His back and shoulder then gave out as he tried to do in pedigree. He ended up only hitting it with one arm. Got a false finish there. Balor then avoided the stomp coming back only for Rollins to hit the ropes, then do an inverted stomp. So he stomped the front of his face, then a regular stomp as Rollins got the one, two, three to win and advance to the finals in 14 minutes. I'm going to say it again in the next segment, but the only negative part about this main event was the absolutely atrocious Jacksonville crowd. They sat the entire match and barely made any noise. Meanwhile, we're getting great work, great story. It's all exciting. And they just sat on their hands. Other than that, this went exactly as I hoped. And honestly, even beyond some of my expectations, I'm not suggesting like it was an all-time banger or anything, but it was an incredibly solid match for guys working their second matches of the night for Rollins, his third featured match in three days. The booking Of the Universal title rematch seven years later, all the callbacks to Ballard's injury, they used it as the entire match story. I thought all of that was awesome. And the finish with half a pedigree and inverted stomp, I have to think he's done that before. I don't remember seeing it. And then a regular stomp not only sold the punishment that Ballard delivered, but the fact that he fought till the end and basically took two and a half finishers just to go down. Mm. Best of all is it was squeaky clean with no interference. And we got interference in the second semifinal, so it was nice not to have it in the or in the second quarterfinal. So it was nice not to have it in the semifinal. Uh, Four stars, A minus, and obviously the right person won.
1: Yeah, really great stuff from two guys who just I don't think really have been in the ring together all that much, despite being two of the best wrestlers in the world. Um, I mean, you said it all there. They told a good story. You got a clean finish, even in defeat. Finn looks good. Mm -hmm. Like you know, like just we hadn't seen him as much. Good stuff. I, no real complaints about any of it. Just it was a, it's what we expected. They told a good story. And we got there. Every, everything was executed st- extremely well.
0: Before we move on to the second half of the graphic, what do you think about this new thing they're doing with Rollins and his entrance? Where he does his whole entrance and then he gets into the ring. They cut off the theme like in a really jagged way where it's like kind of off-putting. They just put the spotlight on him. And they're basically telling the crowd to serenade him it feels really forced to me. I preferred when they did the normal entrance, the music stopped, and the crowd just chanted for him after the bell at the start of the match. Now they're basically cutting off the music and they're like, it is now time for you to serenade Seth Rollins. And it's like, I don't know, it feels forced.
1: Look, I'm the person who says, I think the song is a lot more over than he is, but I do think he it's a step in, he's he's been doing better at just being a character. But no, I mean, They've leaned in heavily to the song, and this is what WWE does when they have something that works, they overdo they it. Trying to just totally lean into it. Yeah. And now make it a basically a structured thing that you're going to sing his song for him.
0: That's the problem. And AEW did that as well with Chris Jericho. Like they end the song at the same point every single time. That way the crowd continues singing. And then they wait until like a certain lyric is done and then they just move on and start the match. But this, they're like cutting it off in the middle of the track saying, burn it down, which makes a stark cutoff. And it's like they do it because they want to catch the crowd serenading him rather than letting the crowd naturally serenade him after the song ends. And to me, it's a very off-putting production decision. Again, I'm going to be critical about that the entire show here. Um, I don't like it, as simple as that. Uh, The two remaining matches for SmackDown, the quarterfinals, are going to be AJ Styles, Edge, and Rey Mysterio in one match and Austin Theory, Bobby Lashley, and Sheamus in the other match. Chris, talk about an absolute banger. Styles, Edge, and Mysterio. Who would have ever thought we're gonna see a match like that? That is wild. Uh, I'm taking Styles pinning Ray and Lashley pinning Theory with Styles somehow emerging from this entire thing as the winner. Maybe OC interference and a heel turn, I don't know. Rollins, Styles, Knight of Champions for me is an incredible match to crown an inaugural champion. For me, it would make no sense for Lashley to go to the finals and lose a title match before he fights and presumably loses a title match to Roman Reigns. And like Cody, he can lose in the quarterfinal without getting pinned. I also just don't see Edge doing two matches in one night and then doing a third over there. He'd be the only other option I think that might work. I just don't see it. I think we're getting Rollins and Styles.
1: For, for the SmackDown matches, I, I agree. I think we're getting AJ reset at the end. I think AJ probably pins Ray. Look, I didn't love AJ Edge at WrestleMania two years ago, but throwing Ray in there, I think, will make it a lot of fun. For sure. This is the fun of the triple threat aspect of it. You can do a lot of different things. As for Theory, Lashley, Sheamus, I I don't know. You said you're picking Lashley, pinning Theory?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm going to take Lashley over Theory just because, I mean, I guess he could pin Sheamus because Sheamus is on the losing end of things recently. Well, and, I, but I think you want to do just, that match. Yeah. I feel like you that's a match you want to do, whereas Theory can lose a non-title match, he can take a bro kick. He can take a spear. No, you know, yeah. it can be, it can be excused.
1: Theory doesn't, theory's not, theory is not winning this. I think it's either Lashley or Sheamus only because I, I think, I don't know, like Lashley, who is like, we're talking about the world heavyweight championship. We have no idea who Roman is going to fight. And that needs to be, Roman's going to be on SmackDown this week, I think, right? think they announced it. So yes, we need to yes. kind of. Get into what that is, you and I thought, hey, maybe it's Bobby Lashley. It's 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 gonna be his one thousandth day reign. It'll be a new opponent, it'll be a big thing. Do they do Lashley now or do they hold him for SummerSlam? If you do Lashley now, do you, like Cody, kind of finagle his way out of the first round match in a cheating type of way so he can move on to something else? Right. As opposed to Lashley winning and then just straight up losing to AJ Styles, I just feel like
0: uh, I, I, I don't. I feel like Roman Reigns and Lashley pushing it in a two week build for Night of Champions. I know that that is a huge show for WWE. It's blood money in the sand, and they want the big stars and the the big bodies, the big meaty men slapping meat. I know they want all that, but man, that's a SummerSlam match. That is not a Night of Champions match.
1: I agree. I'm just, maybe it's Sheamus. Maybe Sheamus loses this match. Maybe he gets interfered with by the Usos or something like that. And Sheamus shit, could Sheamus also, Roman. did
0: Shant. did we ever get Sheamus Roman reigns one-on-one when they were feuding?
1: I don't think we ever did. I th- I think, I think we got it once. I'm pretty sure we got it once. Obviously Sheamus or Roman go back to, you know, when Sheamus won the title over right. Roman cashed in and all this stuff. But I think we got one match. Cause
0: I'm thinking that would be a like great a money December, in the bank match maybe? for Europe.
1: Well, that's true, but we also thought Seamus might win the IC title there.
0: Yeah, but Gunther's on Raw. Drew McIntyre's on oh, Raw. that's
1: true. You're right.
0: And McIntyre's on Raw as well. You're right. So it's like, well, if you're going to put Roman at Money in the Bank, who's he fighting on that show? A European. Makes the most sense.
1: That would make a lot of sense. Maybe it is Seamus. So
0: Seamus for Money uh, in the Rome Bank.
1: I, I don't know. Bobby this Lashley for This is kind of the piecing SummerSlam. together we always have to do as we yeah. kind of guess it. I, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll say Lashley wins this match we get aj lashley and aj i i guess wins clean then aj beats lashley i I,
0: who knows maybe oc turns heel maybe someone comes out maybe lashley has a backstage interaction with the usos during er, earlier in the show and yeah go ahead
1: yeah i'm changing it i i think lashley wins beats aj styles we get lashley versus rollins which we did like a year ago I want to say or something. I mean
0: Lashley Rollins would be a huge win for Rollins like to really establish that mm-hmm. title. So that's the positive. The negative though is again I mentioned this is what I mentioned earlier. If you're going to have Lashley challenge Roman for the WWE Universal Championship, you don't really want him losing a title match before he has another one and loses that. So that's why I'm not picking him to no, go all. Yeah, you're the
1: right. Way. Yeah, I just we've we also haven't seen AJ Styles do much of anything for a while. He just got maybe back. this is yeah. the start. Maybe this is the start of him coming back, but he's just been totally out of mind for a while.
0: Yes, but we'll see how this transpires on Friday. There's a lot of different ways that they can go as clear, clearly based on what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're completely discounting Rey Mysterio here. And I mean, for good reason, probably, because he's been involved in something where he's lost and won. It's gone back and forth. But Rey Mysterio's Rey Mysterio. I mean, what about Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio at, at night? That's a huge match that'd be incredible. So there's a lot of good options they have based on the SmackDown people. I think we can pretty much agree. The only one that makes zero sense is Austin Theory. And the other one that doesn't make much sense is Sheamus. But the other four, honestly, any of those would be a great match at Night of Champions. Chris, with all of that out of the way, we still have half the show left. Let's move into our third segment. You know it. You love it. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez. I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything, dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some. Johnny. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right, now off the top, before we get into the segment, and for anyone who's a first-time listener, we break down every other thing that happened across SmackDown and Raw, and we grade it either good, bad, or ugly. But before we get into all of that, I mentioned this earlier, I wanted to share some general thoughts on this Raw after Backlash that we got Monday night. Let me be clear by saying it was a good show overall. I found it to be a good show. We got four quality matches, sensible storytelling. But there were two major issues. The first is that it suffered from a direct juxtaposition to Backlash itself. The importance of what we were watching, even though there was a world title at stake and the intensity of the crowd, it just paled in comparison to Backlash. And that's understandable, okay? It was a special premium live event in Puerto Rico, one of the greatest crowds of all time, one of the greatest atmospheres of all time. But the distance between Backlash and Raw was much greater than it ideally should have been. And it all starts with production and pacing. This may have been the worst produced WWE TV show this year. There were numerous mistakes by that team. Of course, the piped in booze we talked about. They actively made a strong Rollins, uh, sorry, Rollins, Rhodes, I meant, Rhodes-Lesnar segment worse. And it also affected the Trish Stratus-Becky Lynch segment nearly as much. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Beyond the booze affecting that segment, production cut off Becky's mic before a key part of her promo. We'll also address that Mm -hmm. later. On top of that, the pacing of the entire show was just terrible. Every single match went to commercial after two minutes. And the only ones that didn't were literal two-minute matches. And we got three of those on this show, including both of the women's matches. And yes, I know WWE does more shorter matches because of the pacing of the show and all their extra commercial breaks and stuff. I get it. But while shorter is okay, two minutes is not, especially three times on one episode. Now, granted, there were three women's storylines on the show and all of them got multiple segments. That is a positive. But the most important one with Rhea Ripley, I thought was terrible preview of my grade to come. And the entire episode would have benefited from fewer segments with more time allotted to the ones that remained and mattered. So again, production and pacing was by far the biggest issue of Raw. But it was also to blame in part for the Jacksonville crowd, which to its credit, if you watch the show back, was really hot when it opened and for the most of hour one. But it completely cooled off over the final two thirds of the show. Some of that's their fault. They sucked but some of it was the pacing and the long commercial breaks that pulled out their energy and didn't capitalize on the momentum that they gave them in the first hour. It sounds like I'm about to shit on Raw with like a hundred uglies. I'm actually not. I'm I'm really not. I was just really turned off by the way it was produced and paced. They hit a grand slam on Saturday at Backlash, and I thought they struck out swinging from a production standpoint on Monday night.
1: This is two straight two straight pay-per-views where the show after um, is hit and miss in different ways. There's some things that in, in both cases, you felt like they didn't capitalize on the momentum of a big moment. Exactly. The raw after WrestleMania just sucked. And this one, just because of the nature of the roster and everything just had bad. They just showed a couple highlights of Bad Bunny and that was it. And like, we moved on and we got Damien Priest showing up and smiling to start his promo and stuff like that. And we just like kind of, just moved on from that really quickly. And instead of taking in potential new viewers, you may or may not have had from backlash. And so I just very surprising decisions in that respect.
0: Did you have the same issue overall? And we'll move on from it. Cause I know I've been harping on it for the whole show, but did you have the same issues overall, with the production between the booze, the cutoff promos, the short matches, the pacing, the way things were segmented throughout. Did you notice all of that? Or is that just me? Like I noticed overly nitpicking.
1: I noticed some of them. I mean, like sometimes on Monday nights, I'm just on my computer doing some other things. I don't see every little thing. I did see, you know, Becky's promo get cut off and, and stuff like that. And, and um, in, in terms of the matches being short, like based on what the matches were, I was fine, fine with them being short, especially the women's matches. Um, So like it, it was a mixed bag. I, it, it was a very strange, but to the production point, I would put the microphone issue with Brock Lesnar in that same Absolutely. group. Absolutely. And would arguably arguably bigger than any other one. So yeah, it was there were there were major major production issues that took away from a lot of what they wanted to be the key moments.
0: And just in general to clarify, because we're going to talk about it a lot here, I don't have a problem with short matches. I have a problem with two minute matches when we get three of them. If you want to give me a four minute, a six minute, an eight minute, I'm not going to complain generally. But three two minute matches in one episode, it's too much for me. So let's get into it, segment by segment, the good, the bad, and the ugly for SmackDown and Raw. On Raw, Rhea Ripley fought Dana Brooke in a non-title match. Dana got a taped promo about getting a chance to show her potential. I feel like every time we see her on TV, which is once every six months, she cuts the exact same promo. Brooke got a couple moves in. Ripley hit a strange version of the Riptide at first. Then she put Dana in the prism trap that Corey Graves called the prism Prism lock twice uh, for the submission in two minutes. After a very short pause, Ripley attacked Brooke again, basically repeating the finish. She had a second Riptide, this time a perfect one, and then went back to the prism trap until Natalia slowly strutted down in heels to save her, I guess, and stare Ripley down. Dominic Mysterio whispered something in Rhea's ear and they left. Later backstage, Ripley said she welcomes the pressure of running a division. So let's just get this straight. They follow up Ripley's first title defense in a big time heel moment over a local fan favorite in Puerto Rico with a two-minute squash, a feud with Natalia, and a grand total of 10 words out of her mouth in an interrupted promo. And they don't address at all the fact that she's still holding a blue SmackDown Women's Championship that they called the SmackDown Women's Championship, by the way, while working as a permanent member on Raw. The only reason this is not ugly is that I didn't find anything that insulting about the match itself. okay? like Dana Brooke, getting squashed is totally fine. Natalia coming out was such a womp, womp like such a dud, but it's clearly a throwaway quick title feud for Night of Champions. They don't want to waste a real challenger because even though the women's division is nicely sized on raw, it's only so big and legitimate title challengers as of right now. So this was not an ugly Chris, but it was close and don't get it twisted. It was most certainly bad.
1: Yeah, it was it was certainly a bad. My first thought when Natalia walked out was, Oh, Natalia for the Saudi show. That's just kind of what we do. I think she's had multiple matches there. This if will I be her third or
0: fourth, I believe.
1: Yeah. I was just like, oh, Saudi show's coming up, so Natalia's gonna get the match. That's kind of what we do. Sigh. We're mm-hmm. not gonna get any more story. We're not gonna get an explanation on the color of her belt. All right. But that's the thing. So it's like it
0: a, a you card. don't have, like Ripley couldn't have come out and said, you know, after the match or before the match, I beat that pip squeak in her, you know, home. I don't want, I was going to say home country, but her, her hometown. And I showed you how dominant I can be. And this is just the start. I was the number one pick on Raw and I'm ready to make this my domain and like really come out and like puff out her chest mm-hmm. and be a dominant women's champion. And then Dana Brooke comes out. She gets her ass squashed. Natalia comes out, she actually gets to look up to her because um, they, I mean, look at her you know, face-to-face because they're similarly sized, similarly built. And you say, oh, maybe there is a challenger for her. That's all it takes. Instead, she's just out there kind of walking around, beating her. I just thought it was a really poor way to present Rhea Ripley after a great presentation, not just at WrestleMania, but at Backlash as well.
1: They, they haven't figured out how to present her outside of... Just wrestling being with Dominic or winning or wrestling matches yeah. like her by herself cutting your great promo. They just, they still haven't quite figured that out yet.
0: So Akira Tazawa and Xavier Woods were laughing and having fun backstage. That noise interrupted the promo that Ripley was cutting. Uh, Woods and Dom got into it. Ripley got between them with Tozawa hysterically dipping out, scared and leaving <laughs> Xavier Woods on his own. And I don't know if people recognize this, but that's continuity. Because if you remember, Ripley fought Tozawa one-on-one, one one of the rare mixed matches that we actually get, intergender matches. So he's like, I know this woman's going to kick my ass. I'm not going anywhere near her. So uh, Rhea then accepted Woods' challenge for Dom. We got Xavier against Dom. Woods dominated early until Dom tossed him out of the ring. Xavier did a great thing where his head bounced off the steel steps while he flew. Woods hit a step-through tornado DDT. He tripped Dom when he tried a springboard move. Xavier then hit a draping flying dropkick off the middle rope and he went for the springboard elbow drop when Rhea pulled Dom out of the ring to save him. Uh, Mysterio then slid back inside. He caught Woods with a cradle-style pin and combination with a tights pull to get the win in 12 minutes. I'm down for a New Day Judgment Day feud, if that's where this goes. New versus Judgment. Nice entertaining match. <laughs> it was well-placed in the penultimate spot to prepare for the main event. This was also Woods' first singles loss in a non-title match in 616 days. August 2021. Good spot for Dom and good work by Xavier.
1: They should highlight that number like you always say they should, and that makes mm-hmm. Dominic's win look better. Xavier made, I mean, Domino look big in this match. Like yeah for some you know he's with Rhea and Priest, he looks kind of smaller, but when you get him with Ray, when you get him with Xavier Woods, he just he looks bigger. He's just kind of in that, that in-between size. Um good stuff, fun stuff. They set it up, they did it, and exactly the type of thing you want in that spot for that show. That's a good.
0: Uh, Trish Stratus opened hour three sarcastically wondering where Becky Lynch had gone. She was wearing a missing shirt. It started with piped in booze on the entrance for Trish. She did eventually get real ones once she spoke, which is why the piped in booze were completely unnecessary. Trish called Becky's daughter dumb saying that she's two years old and doesn't know her colors, which I just, I mean, Trish is such a good freaking heel, man. I got to tell you. Uh, She said raw is now her show and no one will steal her spotlight again. So the man's music, of course, hit immediately, only for Trish to laugh at the fans for being dumb and gullible, thinking she came out. Fans chanted for Becky. Trish talked even more shit, only for the music to hit a second time. This time, Lynch appeared directly behind Stratus, who paused and did one of those, she's behind me, isn't she, type of like looks. She turns around, she gets popped, and then she ate a Bexploder. Lynch grabbed the mic, saying, the man has come around to kick your ass, And as I noted earlier, she was clearly ready to say more and I think make a challenge most likely, but production cut her mic off with her theme. So credit to Becky and WWE because if you visit our Twitter account at Getting Overcast or you just look at her Instagram account, Becky's, they played into it immediately with a social media video of Lynch during Raw walking up to a production guy and physically attacking him. She gave him like a forearm, like right under his neck. And it was a really nice touch given the obvious fuck up. And it was great. I thought that they did it live during the show to like her being angry. She went out, did it versus like backstage. She found the guy and you know, it was like a, a late fix. This was more of an improv. I thought it was great. I know some might think that Trisha's promo was slow and meandering. I loved it. Stratus doesn't miss on the mic. The fake out was well executed. Her acting was on point when they hit the music the second time. Becky had a slightly different look with less makeup than usual, and it definitely seems like she's getting back to basics from a character standpoint. Again, the only negative was the absolute shit production, the piped in booze and the cutoff promo. But other than that, this was good.
1: My thought on the cutoff promo was like, oh, they're short on time. They got to get to commercial. So they just do it. So I I didn't I didn't see the video afterward of her of them making up for that but good for them i'm glad they did that then because it was on tv and it's it's a good way to cover um the the trish thing i don't know man like we've done two of these now where trish is alone in the ring doing a promo you've loved them and i just don't it's okay. been completely boring boring it feels like she's just trying to remember everything she has to say there's not a lot of confidence behind what she's saying it's extremely sarcastic as WWE often does with its with its women's promos and the crowd just was silent for a while. She did pick it up at the end, did get the crowd booing. So like it ultimately worked, but I was just like, I don't believe she believes what she's saying. And look, she hasn't done very much of this in a long time. It, it, it's fine. I'm just, I'm very surprised they went back to it, back to all right, Trish cut an entire like five minute promo or whatever in the ring by yourself. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to put on anybody. And you know, she got through it. It was fine to ultimately worked. So I, I give it a light, light, good. But I just, it didn't like, it didn't, it did nothing for me until Becky showed up. I was like, all right, Becky's here now. Now, now shit's going down. Um, so. I'm not yeah, going to, I'm not going to disagree yeah. with, on this on, on the trip. stuff.
0: So. I'm not going to disagree with you because that's a perfectly legitimate, obviously, and fine opinion. And there's plenty of people who felt the exact same way about it. The only thing I'm going to point out is you cannot judge it by the crowd response because the crowd was dog shit. The last time she did it, she got a way better crowd response than she did this time.
1: Uh, you think I, it
0: was the same? I, I know that you were going to say think that. She did. I think she did. Okay. Well, whatever. Right,
1: I don't know. It's fine.
0: <laughs> we we're allowed to disagree. But I'm just telling you my perspective on
1: yeah.
0: it. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura fought Karrion Cross on SmackDown. Uh, there was a strong promo from Cross here, asking Nakamura how much his honor is really worth to him. Shinsuke later responded with a simple, "Come on." Uh, their entrances were both straight up awesome visually in Puerto Rico. This mm-hmm. was a strong style match early, as anticipated. Scarlet distracted, leading to a Doomsday Saito from Cross. Nakamura countered Cross into an armbar, then a guillotine when lifted, and a German suplex when broken. Uh, cross countered Kinshasa with a huge lariat and hit a second Saito. Nakamura countered the cross hammer with two spinning kicks, followed by Kinshasa por el uno, dos, tres. This was one of Cross's best matches in WWE, like NXT included, and almost definitely his best on the main roster. Shinsuke looked completely refreshed and revitalized. He looked great on Raw as well tremendous momentum building spot for Nakamura. Uh, Cross was perfectly positioned to take an out because he hasn't been winning recently. He showed out here though, Cross did. I am more optimistic about his future than I have been since that initial return attack on Drew McIntyre. I thought this was not just good, but very good.
1: Yeah, no, this is very good. And it's the kind of match I was like, if this was like on AEW or just like on the indies, like everybody would be talking about this matchup. Instead, it's just kind of, they're on a show, and this is kind of the nature of WWE sometimes. Uh, but but this very much over delivered it, it, you know, it, it made sense in what they're doing. And cross looked good, and he's the one they're kind of going forward with. Nakamura since coming back is kind of not doing much, but it seems to have been pretty clear for a while they haven't had big plans for him in quite some time, and now there's this miz stuff going on which we can get into well yeah he
0: came back on smackdown because they wanted a big return pop but then they moved him over to raw mm-hmm. so this is what they need to do more they did a three-week storyline with a really good match at the end and then they ended it mm-hmm. that does not happen enough in wrestling it happened here and it was better all better for it the storyline was good the match was good and nakamura and cross even Cross and a loss both came out better on the other side uh, nakamura on raw as you teased uh after the triple threat loss he was seething to himself Miz berated him for not having his back and vice versa uh, as he suggested last week. Miz continued to suggest they team up with Nakamura seeming to agree saying Miz and Shinsuke next week should fight one-on-one which was obviously the opposite of what Miz wanted. Now I've been waiting for WWE to allow Shinsuke to truly speak for himself for years and you are now getting to see how entertaining and just simple Letting a guy speak on his own can be, it was so refreshing just to see him enjoy himself. The Miz feud, obviously Nakamura is going to win it. It's a good way to get him kind of back in the swing of things. It's an easy good.
1: So like I watched the two of them together and I was like, I want Miz and Nakamura to team up now because Miz is always better when he's with somebody. And Nakamura is usually pretty good when he's with somebody like Boogs and has somebody to play off of and stuff like that. And if, you know, if, if, if nakamura is not going to be in a world title picture like he just put them together you don't have to call them fully like ms k nakamura but like there's certainly something there and maybe they fight each other and become teammates afterward or something i don't know but i was like way more excited for that possibility than i am the two of them fighting each other so maybe Miz will will it into existence but i like the two of them kind of playing off of each other backstage there, and I think you can do a lot with that.
0: Well that's that's the great thing about Miz. He can work with anybody. And and not that Nakamura mm-hmm. is anybody, but if you want to kind of get him back into the swing of things, then using Miz as the person to kind of juxtapose him with or, or play him off, uh it's great. And it's working really well. Uh, Over on SmackDown, the Street Profits fought Imperium. There was a smart blind tag at the bell by Imperium, which you never see in tag team wrestling. Literally at the bell, they tagged in. It was really cool. Uh, It was a nice just touch showing their ring knowledge. The Profits made quick work hitting their signatures with a Montez Ford frog splash getting El Uno Dos Tres. I just couldn't get over giving this a bad grade. The match lasted three minutes. They weren't fighting maximum male models. This is Imperium. They got squashed like they were jobbers. I know the crowd, crowd popped for it. They liked the profits. It was a featured spot. It was Puerto Rico. I understand why they did it, but I hated it. It was bad.
1: Yeah. I honestly kind of forgot that this happened, which just goes to show that, uh, yeah, no, that should not be happening with Imperium. Nah, I know they're kind of moving over or whatever, but, uh, that was kind of a waste of time. Yeah. Bad.
0: So then we kind of got the opposite on Monday night. Imperium was walking and talking shit backstage at raw saying Gunther would be back next week. They just kept repeating that. They interrupted Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, who were having a conversation, to tell them the same thing. Sami twice told them, hey, we're talking right now. Just give us five minutes. And they kept persisting. He had a great line. He's like, you guys are still going to be Imperium in five minutes. Just hold on, okay? Uh, Ludwig Kaiser put his finger in Zayn's face with Giovanni Vinci, saying their disrespect would cost them their health and their titles. KO was incensed because somehow everyone that bothers them Seems to have henchmen. And Zane wanted to just take care of all this right away. So then we got KO and Sammy against Imperium in a non-title match. Before the bell, KO video bombed Imperium. So they do their pose in the middle of the ring. He jumped in between them and like waved his hands and was making faces to the camera. It was absolutely freaking hysterical. Okay. Owens got the hot tag. He ate a high-low near the ropes. Uh, he caught Kaiser flying with a kick and a stunner. Then he nailed Vinci with a super kick. Zayn tagged in blind and KO was still kind of wrestling with Vinci in the corner. And Sammy runs in for the most blindside Huluva kick I think I've ever seen in a match. It was a fantastic freaking finish and a really, really nice match. Now let me be clear, this gets a very high good. The backstage segment was hilarious. The match was really strong. The character that KO is doing of just breaking the fourth wall and seeing through all the bullshit tropes in wrestling, I effing love it. However, I do question having Imperium lose on their first night of Raw when they're one of the top teams on the brand that is now the permanent home for the champions. Also, this comes after the SmackDown squash in a match I just criticized. It seemed like neither of these two matches needed to happen, but at least everything we got on Monday night was insanely entertaining so as i said a very high
1: good the backstage segment i got immediate immediate vibes from imperium of Matson's friends in sunday night's episode of succession when they come (laughs) into the party and they're just talking and they're loud and doing all this stuff
0: obnoxious shitty people yeah
1: (laughs) yeah yeah european you know european accents and all this stuff and just very much got that vibe Um, and it was it was really funny and match was great like you said like just Everything there was was really good and fun. And um, to the point, though, about Imperium losing, you're right. They have two straight losses now. And we don't really know yet what's going on with the tag team titles as well. We haven't gotten clarification on how that all works. Um, But we do know that Gunther is coming next week on Raw. So perhaps that's a reboot for Imperium as a group moving forward. So I'm going to kind of wait and see on that. Maybe they were here to just take a couple losses, but get him back with Gunther, power him back up, yada, yada, yada.
0: They lose without him. He comes back. Business picks up. Kind of like the Usos are losing without Roman. He comes back. Yeah, I could buy yeah. that. I could possibly buy that. Uh, the Good Brothers fought the Viking Raiders on SmackDown. AJ Styles was on commentary talking about the world heavyweight title and being frustrated that he just came back from the longest injury absence of his career. He also named the Russian leg sweep. Uh, boot combo that the Good Brothers do, he ca- calls it now Brother Me Softly, which is a poke at Bury Me Softly, which popped me. Uh, Michin murdered Valhalla with a shotgun dropkick outside. The Good Brothers hit Magic Killer, Porel, uno, dos, tres. It was a good return match for the OC, which is clearly, I think, going to be a significant part of SmackDown. The crowd was amazing for this match, and it was better than the match even deserved, but the match was still very good, so solid segment.
1: Yeah, crowd very much into it. So it's good to see them back and kind of fully doing stuff again. Been a while. Viking Raiders, I don't know. You know, they they were pushed for a little bit. Now they're not. Mm -hmm. You know, no real consequences to any of this stuff, but it was fun. So I give it a like good.
0: Otis fought Mustafa Ali on Raw. Chad Gable and Maxine Dupree were with Otis. And by the way, Uh, Samantha Irvin now being on Raw is a revelation because she now gets to do Maxine and she gets to do all these other announcements. She was awesome on Monday night, so shout out to her. Ali was called a free agent, but they didn't really give any further explanation about it. Otis crushed him with a lariat and a corner splash. At that point, Gable and Maxine jumped on the apron and kept giving him opposite instructions. He kept going back and forth. It was a big comedy type of routine, confused. Uh, He eventually decided to run and Ali dodged him. He flew into the post. Then Ali immediately came back with a 450 for the one, two, three in two minutes. Now, I have no problem with the booking, given the story they are telling. But again, can we really not just get a six-minute match so Ali can actually look good, and so Otis can look good, so he can bump for Otis before he lucks out with the win? On top of that, Chris, this is a low-card story that has been stretched way, way, way too long without any development. And yes, the Jacksonville crowd was shit but I do feel like fans in totality have lost a lot of interest because this hasn't progressed and the maximum male models themselves, which are very entertaining, haven't been part of it in weeks. So this was a bad for me.
1: Yeah, that was confusing. I was like, our, is Maxine Dupree just with the Academy now? Like it it, it kind of very much felt like in kind of an AEW thing where like you hint at something happening and then just don't do it for two months. Good point and so i I don't know like i'm still enjoying it the match length Look, i didn't expect much out of this the whole point was everything that was happening outside of it and those dynamics like i was perfectly fine with that i give it a bad just because it just kind of wasn't much of anything and i think there is a story to tell about maxine pulling otis away from chad gable and all this stuff they're just not really doing that anymore they're kind of all together i I don't know. Well, that's
0: the thing they were arguing over him, but it's like there wasn't enough match to sink your teeth into the action. There wasn't enough storyline to sink your teeth into the story. They didn't, you know, Otis didn't walk away from both of them or shove her aside or shove him aside and go with the other one. Nothing happened. It was just like the same thing over and over some Chris, yeah, like- including the WWE universal champion might call that like missionary position. It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. I actually love the second half of that drop, but we never get to play it. I'll do it next time. Anyway, what were you saying? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I would love to have like the models here kind of nudging Chad Gable out of the picture. while Otis gets kind of taken away by Dupree or something like that. Like bring the models back. There's a lot you can do with them. Tell the story where we feel bad for Chad Gable.
0: Exactly, right. We should be feeling sympathetic for Gable that he's losing his best friend. They're rooting for him and he starts succeeding without him. There's so many things that they can do, but they're not doing any of it. It's just the same thing every week. So it's really frustrating. Uh, Cameron Grimes made his main roster debut backstage on SmackDown with Adam Pearce. Baron Corbin interrupted their conversation, insulting him as being Mr. Irrelevant in the draft, which for anyone who doesn't watch the NFL draft, the last pick is called Mr. Irrelevant. Grimes snapped back that Corbin went undrafted. Corbin tried to put that over like being a free agent as a good thing, which Pierce scoffed at before setting Grimes' first match on the main roster next week against Corbin. This was a good little segment playing into the draft storyline. It did put a spotlight on the stupidity of the free agent designation. But other than that, I thought it was a logical setup for a match next week.
1: Yeah, I'm just, I was kind of indifferent about the whole thing. I was like, man, Cameron Grimes is coming back. Guy, what's his gimmick gonna be? be we don't know it took a while for him to find a gimmick and now he's with baron corbin the guy who can never quite find a gimmick that works so i'm worried (laughs) they're gonna kind of drag each other down in that sense uh but it was fine i think they they can do a better job of explaining who all these people are they kind of did it with zoe stark Mm -hmm. in in a better way i think but a lot of these new people or some of them at least are just kind of showing up and not doing much and That was one of
0: them. Yeah, you have to remember, you know, SmackDown's getting 2.4 million viewers. Raw is getting, you know, 2 million around that most weeks. NXT gets 500, 600,000. There's, you know, two thirds or more of your audience don't know who these people are. You need to introduce them. Now, maybe we'll get that next week. We'll get a vignette ahead of Grimes' first match. Very possible. I should note, Grimes Mm -hmm. looked and sounded a bit different here. He seemed more buff. He also notably trimmed his beard down to just stubble. He had his hair up. He spoke with much less of a Southern twang, so it's really going to be interesting to see the way he's presented on Friday, to your point. Uh, Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville were backstage at Raw, lying to people to get them to sign a petition for a women's tag team title rematch. They bumped into all of the way, sans Austin Theory, of course, he's on SmackDown. Uh, Dexter Loomis gave thumbs down to signing it. Gargano pointed out that the family was back together and then said, quote, he's coming back soon and it's going to be great. Candice was really unsure about that. I presume Gargano was talking about Tommaso Ciampa, who of course is his former teammate in DIY and NXT and his best friend. He's never been in the way, but that could be a way to kind of get them back together. Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez later were happy to sign the petition, promising to beat Damage Control Friday and then beat Chelsea and Sonia on Monday. The Heels laughed because they said the entire reason they made the petition was this is because they wanted to fight damage control. They assumed they would win. Now, it is really sad the crowd didn't pop more for the way when they appeared on screen, but the faction has been gone for like two years and it's never been mentioned on the main roster before. So it probably made me and some of you happier than most. I loved the second segment also with Liv and Raquel. I liked it even more than the first one. Chelsea and Sonia are absolutely, Chris, crushing this gimmick. They are hysterical. It's working. You know, a rematch of a match they didn't deserve in the first place is stupid, but they're chicken shit heels. I thought this was very good.
1: Sonia and Chelsea are just, they're the star of every segment that they're in. That was great. Uh, The way I don't, I know of them. I don't really know much about them in terms of what they've done, (laughs) Uh, accomplished. So that was kind of a, whatever for me, it is weird also that like the tag team champions were kind of the third most notable part of the segment, but that's just kind of the state of the women's tag team belts. I I don't know if we're grading this or not, but I I guess I'll give it a good.
0: Yeah. I gave it a good. I I think it's great. And anyone who wants Mm -hmm. me, and if you want me next week, you can send in a a last word or a question. I am happy to explain the way to anyone who didn't watch NXT, because I'm going to (laughs) tell you right now, it is one of the greatest unsung factions in WWE. The last 20 years. It is hysterical. It's fun. It's good. The wrestling was good with them. Um, What they did in NXT with The Way was one of the most entertaining things in WWE at that time. And I'm happy to talk about it as much as anyone wants me to, but I'm not going to do it without it needs being
1: to, asked. It needs to be sung. It, it's unsung. Somebody has to sing it. I'll Maybe sing it. The person Maybe to sing.
0: I'll sing it next week or next time we have time on the show. Uh, Zoe Stark backstage said she's amazing and a complete wrestler. She saw Nikki Cross like making strange hand gestures saying she'll easily succeed on Raw because it's filled with weirdos like Nikki. So Stark challenged Cross wanted to play. So she accepted. I've seen a lot of Zoe's NXT promos. This was better than nearly every single one that she's ever done in the rest of her WWE career. So credit to her on that. We got Stark against Cross. Stark hit her seated springboard senton. She avoided a tornado DDT with a toss, hit a super kick, and nailed the Z360 finisher, which is like a spinning go to sleep for the win in two minutes. Nice debut overall. The crowd had no reason to care, so the reaction was muted, but I don't blame them because she was a brand new wrestler. This was also the third two-minute match on the show, which again is just ridiculous. If you're putting a match on TV, and you want Stark to look good, then you have to give it enough time for the fans to eventually care. Stark's a good wrestler. Nikki's a good wrestler. Let them freaking wrestle. They didn't let them wrestle. That's the entire gimmick of Zoe Stark. It was good because it was a debut win and I liked the promo, but it could have been way better if she just got more time.
1: Yeah, sort of. I mean, like Nikki Cross is never on TV and Zoe Stark is new to a bunch of people throwing them out and giving them a, a, a long match on, on I'm Raw. I'm not saying
0: like long. Not I'm saying six minutes. The
1: best start, but six minutes. I, I did think it established, it, is, it, it did a good job of establishing Zoe Stark as someone you're not supposed to like and that she's a good wrestler. And I think it accomplished that. So I, I, I give it a good. I think there's a lot you need to build on. But again, compared to, you know, Cameron Grimes' you know, debut there, I, I thought this was much better. So I gave it a good.
0: And lastly, Jinder Mahal said Veer and Sangha are finally ready to bring unprecedented pain to the main roster. He paced behind them, it was a taped video promo package, and emerged then between them, promising to shake the very foundation of Monday Night Raw. I gotta say, I like all three of these guys. I don't have high hopes for them on the main roster. The whole deal has just never really worked. But all that said, there was absolutely nothing wrong with this. They came across as intimidating. Jinder's promo was good. This presentation was solid, so I'm giving it a provisional good.
1: I give this a really big good. I haven't seen them a ton in NXT, other than just kind of seeing a little bit of them together. And I love the idea behind it. It it felt very AOP, essentially, just two big guys, you know, as a tag team, and you throw Gender, who's a big guy, in there as well. I you know I liked Gender even when he was champion. Like I thought it kind of worked, even though I know a lot of people didn't. So I I don't know where these guys go, but I, I love the look. I love the potential, and I'm hoping that on the main roster, there's a lot more they can do with them, and I'm excited for that.
0: I like Jinder much more in this role with them than I do him being the featured guy, and I think it might actually work. Like, my hopes are actually up for this and for all three of those guys who seem like good dudes. It just nothing that they've ever tried with them has really worked that well. Sanga in NXT, for those who don't know, he was doing a babyface gimmick for a while as a single, and it was working great. And then they brought Veer back, they teamed them up, then they brought Jinder to kind of manage them. And the specialness of what we got with Sanga kind of faded away. So I, I'm anticipating it. And like I said, provisional good. I'm glad you liked it as well. And I wasn't alone. High hopes for them. But again, low expectations. So that ends the third segment of this show, which brings us to the last one, which appropriately, Chris, is called The Last Word. Um, um. Now, this last word is going to take a slightly different tune than some of the other ones. Usually we get asked a question, we give our answers, maybe we debate a little bit but this one comes from a longtime listener of mine, Mikey Mulvihill. I hope I said that right, Mikey, at Mikey underscore trolls on Twitter. He said, this is a follow-up to shut the F up and let me talk. And this is a reference back to the first podcast I was ever on in this corner. He said, thinking back to the best debate and seemingly realist anger of those days, it's time for the Silver King to take a victory lap. Let me clarify, I am not bringing this topic up because he wants me to take a victory lap because I don't even know if he's right so I'm just I found it to be an interesting topic but he said the debate at the time was Kenny Omega versus Seth Rollins who is the best in the world you Adam said Seth on the pod and you got dragged for not saying Kenny at the time Kenny was on our screen once every two months in Japan versus Seth every week on WWE so of course he seemed more overexposed and less special he said in parentheses I believe you had that Now fast forward to Kenny being on TV in the US every week, and there's no one that can look me in the eye and say he's been anything close to the cleaner, and Seth has been far more entertaining week to week on television. So that's Mikey's opinion, obviously. So I thought it would be interesting for us to take a look at both of them and have a legitimate frank discussion briefly about who between them is doing better work right now. And I kind of want to throw it to you, Chris, and get your initial take on the entire thing. Mostly because I need to think about it a little bit.
1: Well, I I don't want to derail it. So are we only talking Kenny Omega and Seth? Or are we saying just who is the best wrestler in the world? No, no. Kenny and Seth. You can make a case that it's neither of them. No, oh, oh, you, you, can,
0: you can definitely make a case that it's neither of them. But I'm saying this is just about Kenny and Seth.
1: Okay. Between Kenny and South, 100% right. Kenny Omega has not been the cleaner ever on AEW. And that's been one of the biggest disappointments as someone who was familiar with his work in New Japan and, and BTE and stuff like that before AEW started. I expected Kenny Omega to come in to just like be that guy. And he's just never quite been that. You know, he did tag team stuff, he did the Don Callis stuff, I, even when he had all the belts. Uh, you know, when he had all the, 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 elite behind him, stuff like that, he's never felt like he's gotten to that level. Look, he was extremely injured, you know, after the Adam page match, he oh, went yeah. had a lot of things done. Mm-hmm. So it was going to take a while to get back. So he's not Kenny Omega at his prime back then. The other thing is uh, also, are we just talking in the ring overall?
0: No, overall. Because conversation was I just
1: want to say, cause Kenny's, Kenny's not a bad promo, but he's not a great promo. And Seth much more consistently can be a great promo. Like I don't love his current character. A, a, a lot of the laughing and some of the other things. But when he gets down to it and cuts the promos that he needs to, it's top level stuff. So if, if, if between the two, I would be going with Seth Rollins right now. But I also think that larger debate is open as to who's the best. But between the two of them, It's Seth, not that Kenny can't get there. I'm still waiting for Kenny to get back there because we know he can, but I I, I still think Seth.
0: And that's also not to say that Kenny's not a better in-ring performer. And this was the original argument that I had on the podcast. So like, Kenny's the best wrestler in the world because he has the best matches. And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, he's also fighting Kazuchika Okada. Like we were having the conversation at the time of the greatest, uh, at the time we thought it was going to be a a trilogy, but it ended up being four matches uh, in a series series that we've probably ever seen in professional wrestling. So you were talking about this guy at the height of his powers. Seth Rollins, meanwhile, was on TV as an absolute workhorse every single week putting on banger after banger. Now, his bangers did not reach the height of Kenny's bangers, but Kenny was wrestling once every two weeks when we saw him. Since they've now come on TV and they've both been simultaneously on TV you know, pretty much every week, or at least a lot more consistently, it's easier to compare them apples to apples. I still think that Kenny's highs, the Vikingo match, the Brian Danielson match, right. he, uh, the Adam Page match, the tag team match that he had with Page against the Elite, his highs are still higher than Seth Rollins' highs in the ring. But mm-hmm. wrestling yes. to me is not just about what happens in the ring. Rollins is a superior storyteller to Omega. And again, like you said, it's not to say that Kenny can't cut a promo. He's actually a very good promo. And he gets when he gets the opportunity to speak, and be it and do it himself. He can really shine. I think we saw it in the John Moxley feud was the last time, not this one, but the prior one where like Kenny was cutting some of those taped promos and it was really intense and you just believed yeah. every single thing that he said. But Rollins is such an amazing storyteller on a week to week basis. You can give him the mic and say this is your topic and he just goes unprompted and and there's something special about that. Both of them are nowhere near where they were the last time that I had that debate. They were both younger, healthier, um, you know, both have had, I I think Rollins has had a surgery since then. Kenny has had multiple surgeries since then. So you can't really have the same conversation now that we had then. But, you know, uh, talking about people who are on TV frequently, not only is Rollins, I think, doing a better job more consistently, he's being allowed to do a better job more consistently. Kenny, like you pointed out, he had his World Heavyweight Championship run in AEW, and he had multiple titles, but Don Callis was doing all the talking. He was a chicken shit heel for a large part of of that um, championship run. And when you really want the cleaner, and that's what you get instead, you have to contextualize that. You have to say, well, he probably is better than what he was doing, but they probably had him doing that because he was injured and hurt and needed multiple Mm -hmm. surgeries. So it's kind of tough to kind of come back to the conversation. I think it's really picking nits to a lot of degrees. They are both incredible wrestlers. Seth has an edge when it comes to mic work and storytelling. Kenny has an edge when it comes to wrestling. If I had one match that I needed to see, for me, I think it would depend on the opponent. Am I getting Kazuchika Okada? Then I want Kenny Omega. Am I getting Cody Rhodes? Then I want Seth Rollins.
1: Here's how I would say, instead of you have one match, who are you picking? It's you have one story. Who are you picking? That includes matches, that includes promos, that includes. I'm everything picking Seth. Together. I'm picking Seth. I I think I would too. I, I I think, I think I would pick Roman Reigns over both of them for the full story, not in a single mm. match. Those guys are better wrestlers, bell to bell. But I think I, I think the total package of Roman when he's on, you know, when it's a big thing, we saw it with the Cody stuff. He really has developed into what everybody wanted him to be for a long time. And uh so yeah, but but the Seth, the the, the Seth Kenny Omega debate uh can can very much continue and one of those dream matches we probably won't have. But, oh man. You know, we can imagine.
0: It. I mean, that's really the end of the conversation is, okay, yeah, Seth or Kenny. Yeah. What about Seth and Kenny? <laughs>
1: right? Like mm-hmm.
0: I, he, Omega's not going to leave AEW, at least I don't think that said at this time. I would have said that Cody Rhodes would not have left AEW, but If he was to leave and go over to WWE, even if it's after this next contract and he just does a year, and we get Rollins Omega, damn, I mean, I don't think I even need to do it, but I'll do it. That's gonna be a banger. That would be an absolute frickin' banger. But a really good conversation to wrap up the show. I'm glad we went ahead and did the last word. I was 50-50 on whether to do it because we had a lot to talk about. But nevertheless, that does wrap up this WWE edition of the Getting Over wrestling podcast on the way out allow me to remind you first we'll be back on thursday with our aew and nxt episode of course next week same bat time same bat channel for our next wwe episode don't forget to follow us on twitter at getting overcast for episode drops news analysis highlights all that good stuff please also remember i happen to love the number five was a little trigger happy on that but i do happen to love the number five head on over to buy me a coffee Dot com slash getting over, become an official, getting overhead with a five dollar membership. You get bonus audio, and you also get news posts every single week with the latest in WWE. I'm gonna try, do my best to get some inside info on AEW as well. Also, please remember the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about defy. So leave those five star ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave a five-star review on Apple because if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Thanks to Vintage Chris Vanini for joining me for the second time in just a few days as we finally completely wrapped up Backlash and got kicked off on this World Heavyweight Championship Tournament. We will be back next week with the second half of that tournament and all the booking that WWE is doing going forward tonight of Champions. But at this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.